Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the federal government expresses concern about anti-pipeline protests crippling parts of the country's transportation network. The railways uh, that have been stopped uh, from operating uh, have the option of uh, seeking injunctions and those injunctions um, must be followed up by the provincial police. The finance minister says cabinet is still considering its decision on the tech frontier mine. I know that people are paying close attention to the uh, tech frontier project. Uh, we are going through a process which has been a, a robust process that will culminate in a cabinet decision on the project. And the conservatives want to know what federal officials are doing about China's alleged involvement in the Equifax hack. It's really uh, not a good situation with the federal Liberal government and the Conservatives are calling for a very hard line and uh, that's been their policy for a while. It's Wednesday, February the 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So Transport Minister Macarneau is saying the government is very concerned about the anti-pipeline protests that are shutting down railways in various parts of Canada, particularly one of the main arteries in southern Ontario. Um, what do you think is is going to happen here? How is this going to play out? Well, it, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that no one thought of this before in a way. I mean, there has been Indigenous uh, protests and other types of protests uh, in Canada before, but without the kind of deadly effect that this has had. I mean, the blockade outside of Belleville has shut down virtually uh, the, the most important rail corridor in the country uh, in southern Ontario, connecting Montreal and Quebec and, and the in absolutely vital shipping route that that represents. Um, you know, another blockade in B.C. is 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 having a similar effect out there. So what we have is cars backing up, train cars backing up, via rail uh, trains being cancelled. So now hundreds uh, and getting into the thousands of, of rail uh, travelers are also uh, left in the lurch. And this was over, over just two fairly small protests by not that many people uh, that are having this, uh, this impact. So, uh, but it is complicated because as much as the federal government uh, is in charge for overall transport, enforcing these types of laws are provincial and local matters. So all these governments have to somehow get on the same page and decide what they're going to do uh, if they're going to uh, you know, make any progress. Is this the sort of thing, though, that we should get used to, given that the legal challenges against the Trans Mountain Pipeline, for one, have not worked, and that the people who are opposed to pipelines are saying they're going to continue to fight using any means they can? Yeah, you know, I, I do think that this particular issue or the set of issues having to do with uh, Aboriginal rights and, and the environment and, and the energy industry particularly, I think this is a, not the, the beginning of the story by any means, but it's certainly not the end. And you know what? I see a distinction, say, between, you know, the Occupy movement of a few years ago, uh, you know, which looked like it was going to be a permanent sort of set of protests around the world and, and in Canada. And that kind of people lost interest and moved on to other things. Uh, I don't think the uh, First Nations are going anywhere, and, and they've got a long list of, of issues that have to be resolved. And um, so I, I think it is going to be, we're going to see more of this in the future, and it's going to have to uh, 
it's going to require some, I think, pretty subtle thinking on the part of the federal government and the provinces to uh, to uh, make a way that we can all live together and, and uh, proceed with the economy. That careful thinking you refer to, obviously, it's got to come into play as well with regard to decisions around things like the uh, tech uh, mine, the tech frontier mine, because the government is obviously grappling with this. There's, there's talk that they might postpone a decision about it, but it's another example of where the environment and the economy are being put at odds with each other, where different parts of the country are being put at odds with each other. And I know that there are many people within the government who are wondering, how can we actually meet our emissions targets and present ourselves as a government that is striving to do so and cares about the environment if we keep approving these projects that are going to produce emissions? Well, and even more tricky and dangerous in a lot of ways, Mark, is the fact that this is pitting region against region and political party against other political parties in a very nasty and partisan way. So uh, I noticed that Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, uh, issued another dire warning. Well, you know, if this tech thing doesn't go ahead, this is going to cause a horrible crisis. And, uh, you know, so everything now is being cast as this sort of nation-building or destroying issue that looms before all of us and and has to get resolved. And, I mean, the conservatives, uh, small and large-sea conservatives have one view on these things. I mean, there's people on social media, Mark, who are demanding that the Mounties go in with tanks and just clear these blockades out. And, look, if they're in the way, too bad. They're, it's against the law. Uh, <laughs> that's sort of not how we do things in Canada. And uh, – but there has to be some measure of respect for the law and uh, and and mutual accommodation for economic objectives to proceed while hopefully respecting the needs of all the communities uh, that are affected. Do you think this government would actually approve the tech frontier mine, given all that it's said about uh, the need to to pursue these emissions targets? Um, you know, <laughs> I do think that they may get boxed into it sort of thing but you know it may be a cold political calculation at the end of the day i don't know maybe it would be in which they'd say look we're not going to get any seats in alberta so what's the point of approving this thing going against all our voters and this is the thing we haven't mentioned in this conversation mark is that there are millions and millions of canadians who want their governments to take uh, action on climate change and to and reduce greenhouse gas emissions so the government does have to keep that in mind. Those are the people that elected them. And and so that's what I mean. The, the political dimension of this is be, is now seeping out into all sort of arms and aspects of the government, and, and it's becoming a tremendously complex uh, matter for them to manage. All right, let's turn to this hack of Equifax data that uh, happened in 2017. Earlier this week, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that a federal grand jury had indicted four members of uh, the People's Liberation Army in China. And yesterday, the conservatives were asking the government questions, wrote a letter to the prime minister, saying that it's worrisome that members of uh, the Chinese People's Liberation Army are part of this hack, allegedly, and uh, they want to know what the federal government's doing about it. What do you make of this? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, this is a, quite an issue. The, and, you know, it's a, a severe matter of dip, uh, of diplomatic breach of trust, if you will, where the an, a tr an arm of the Chinese regime of the government uh, was uh, out hacking private companies and, and sensitive data and pri uh, private information 
uh, in Canada and the U.S. I mean, I think there are the, the private information of around 19,000 Canadians uh, was compromised in this Equifax uh, breach. So if, if you've got, you know, agents of the Chinese government, and, and they are active in Canada in an espionage and, uh, and technology theft, uh, they, the Chinese watch our military, they, they've been active even in Halifax, so this is an ongoing thing. The government is well aware that this is happening, but now it's busted out into the open where here you have, you know, the Chinese official government policy uh, is to hack and steal and, and intrude. So, you know, the government, does, you know, they can't be pushed around on this or this is going to be a never ending situation of bully and victim. And uh, but how to do it in a way that stops these intrusions and yet allows uh, commerce and business and diplomacy to continue uh, between the Chinese and the Canadians. And, and let's face it, that things are bad. They're holding our people hostage. The Meng Wanzhou case has not been resolved. There are trade issues percolating all over the place. And uh, it's um, it's it's really uh, not a good situation with the federal liberal government. And the conservatives are calling for a very hard line. And uh, that's been their policy for a while. All right, let's turn to the Prime Minister's travels, because in addition to this trip to Africa that he's been on, bidding for support for Canada's efforts to land a UN Security Council seat, we're now learning he's off to the Caribbean next week uh, to push harder for support and to maybe earn some votes. What do you think about this whole effort by the Prime Minister uh, in what some people have already described as, as a futile effort to, uh, to get this Security Council seat? Well, it remains to be seen if it's futile or not. I mean, of course, Trudeau's uh, opponents are going to call it a waste of time and futile. I mean, uh, 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, the Harper government uh, expended great uh, political capital and, and a lot of time and money uh, trying to round up exactly the same type of support from you know African countries and, and Asian countries, Commonwealth, some of the small states that, that have votes in the General Assembly and uh, so, you know, this is an ongoing thing that uh, Canadian governments somehow feel that this is super important. I don't think it affects the lives of very many Canadians, mind you. And, um, you know, at some point, I, th I know the Harper government just kind of gave up in disgust when they were rejected by the U.N. Um, and the Trudeau government, I think, is, you know, uh, is pursuing this traditional Canadian diplomatic objective but uh, I'm not really sure to what end other than having this seat um, when everyone knows that the Security Council is, is run by the Russians and the Americans and the Chinese anyway. So, I mean, um, it certainly is one of those things that uh, you have to wonder whether the end result is worth the effort that's being put in. All right. Great points, Dan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Thanks for the call. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. Is the reasonable standard adequate? Is it enough to say that the consultation that Tsleil-Waututh, Coldwater and Squamish Nation received is reasonable and adequate in law? Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne seeks clarity on the duty to consult. Coyne writes... Governments and pipeline developers are faced with an intractable dilemma. No one disputes they have a duty to consult with affected Indigenous groups, but it is too often unclear with whom they should consult or how. 
absent reforms clarifying who speaks for indigenous peoples and what is implied by the duty to consult, these farces will be repeated again and again. In the Toronto Sun, Tom Mulcair looks back on what he calls a withering week for human rights in Canada. Mulcair writes, The Prime Minister chose to tour the world, and nobody seems to have been left in charge. The Federal Court of Appeal ruled that everything was just fine with the Trans Mountain Pipeline. First Nations took direct action, shutting down train traffic. Canada is blessed with natural resources and with the ancestral knowledge of our First Peoples. We're lucky, but we're blowing it. At some point, Justin Trudeau will have to show up and manage these tough issues. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues China's secrecy on the coronavirus is a killer. The Star writes, The virus has shaken faith in China's authoritarian political system. Many are outraged that local officials were more concerned about stopping the spread of what they dismissed as mere rumors than getting to the truth. After a brief opening up, the Chinese government has once again clamped down. The Chinese have done a lot right in their response, but this outbreak has revealed a lot about the weaknesses of the Chinese system as well. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Prime Minister Trudeau is in Senegal today for the last stop of his African tour. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, Prime Minister Trudeau is in Dakar, the Senegalese capital today, where he continues his tour to bolster economic ties and, above all, to try to boost support for Canada's bid for that seat on the UN Security Council. Canada has a special and warm relationship with Senegal, in part because of our two countries' common membership in La Francophonie. Prime Minister Trudeau will meet with President Macky Sall today. It's not clear, however, how much of Canada's feminist foreign policy will be discussed. Senegal is not a country without its own human rights challenges, including pervasive problems with gender-based violence, women's rights, and the fact that homosexuality is illegal in the country. The country boasts a fast-growing economy and has great potential for increased bilateral trade with Canada. Prime Minister Trudeau will also take time for some reflection as he visits Senegal's Gorier Island, a site which is now an international monument. It was once the final stop for many African slaves being taken to America. Thanks, Martin. Also today, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in Halifax, where she will meet with the city's mayor, as well as the Premier of Nova Scotia. Finance Minister Bill Morneau will meet with private sector economists in Toronto. Minister of Infrastructure Catherine McKenna will be in Vancouver to meet with the Mayor's Council on Regional Transportation. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson and Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will take part in the 2020 Globe Forum in Vancouver. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibot will make an announcement in Ottawa. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will make an announcement in Tecumseh, Ontario. And Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will make an announcement in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, February the 12th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.